0: From 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Coming up on today's show, First Direct repositions itself because good customer service is no longer enough to stand out. Portugal bans cash payments over €3,000, and who does that really impact? And Alipay smile comes to KFC. That's just the healthy KFC. Who knew? Welcome to Fintech Insider News, coming to you live from the rather awesome 11FS office in WeWork London. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined by my lovely, lovely 11FS colleagues, Jason Bates and Simon Taylor. How's it going,
1: guys? I'm lovely, lovely. How
0: are you? I'm lovely, lovely too. I'm enjoying life, sir. Indeed, it's been a fun week, hasn't it? What have what you guys been up to this week?
2: So I've been thinking about micropayments a lot, eSports um, I just can't get away from, and the combination of the two. I'm uh, talking a lot to 11FS clients about how eSports is a really growing area of payments, but it's something that's not affordable.
0: And of course... You're not letting this
2: eSports stuff go away, are you? I'm like, really not going to let it want to be
0: paid to play on the Xbox
2: thing? No, don't be silly. Um, but you know, And of course, um, Blockchain Insider
1: this week, we had Jason Bates as well, the one, the only. So I've had a very fun week. Very, very cool. How about you, Jay? Just working with some clients on new products, new propositions, looking at how we build things and get them to market super fast In a while connected to tier one banks, which is an interesting question.
0: And you've just been off doing quite an interesting interview with somebody, I understand.
1: Yeah, uh, Stephen Barclay, uh, Economic Secretary to the Treasury. So that's been cool. Oh, and uh, I I was just saying to Richard that I've been looking at banking for the blind and pulling together potentially a coalition of banks to do something around PSD2, CMA interfaces and how that might be something with like the Royal National Institute of the Blind. I think there's just something really interesting as a... A niche use case that isn't going to be a billion-dollar company that VCs would invest in, but ultimately provides financial inclusion and could impact a few million people. Like it just—it just screams out. So uh, that's going to be a 11FS side project that I'm not sure I've told you about.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I knew about that one, and it sounds very exciting. I have to say, lots of fun things to be had in that. Uh, myself, we're actually ramping up to build a bank, which is quite scary i have to say so if you probably the biggest impact on that one and actually there'll be more and more information sort of to come on that over over the next couple of weeks but hey if you're looking for a job in building a bank then probably check out the 11fs.com website because there's going to be some really interesting jobs going up there shortly um enough probably about i guess although i'd love to sort of chat about what we're doing all the time i guess these other people here get kind of bored um today though we have coming back for his second appearance we have richard davies formerly of hsbc currently of gardening leave and going to tsb indeed hi thanks for coming back
1: Looking super relaxed in t-shirt and jeans, the only gardening leave. It's the gardening leave glow. It, it, I think really, that's what it is. It really is. It's been a few
3: weeks in California and Spain. And okay, there. yeah, yeah. Your heart's yeah. bleed. <laughs> can,
0: can go off somebody really quickly. And alongside him, we have author, advisor, commentator, digital banking guru, and probably one of the few authors that I actually read, to be honest with you. So uh, we have the big man,
4: Dave Birch, coming back. So Dave, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. I just uh, got back from Amsterdam, which was great fun. And you literally and just got back from Amsterdam. I literally you just came got back straight from, from the airport, didn't you? And uh, next week's New York, and yeah, it's fun at the moment.
0: And again, you are one of the few people that I do read, but you've got a new book out right now.
4: The uh, do you want to tell people a little bit about it? I'd be more than happy to. It's called Before Babylon Beyond Bitcoin, and it's about technology and money, and uh, it tries to learn from the history of the relationship between technology and money to make some kind of more informed guesses about where money might go next. And um, it's not for specialists. I mean, it's for general readers, I hope. Um, But, yeah, it's doing okay. Thank you.
0: No, I very much enjoyed it. So check it out, everybody. Um, Before we get on with the news and actually sort of stealing something from Sam Moore, did I get that right? Yeah, you I know we got quite right. upset because I kept getting his name wrong last time he was the, the here. The
1: guy's joined the company. He's opening the US office and you can't pronounce his name. Yeah, but come on. Like <laughs> you've heard me. And he's a great guy. Yeah,
0: you've heard me say his, people's names wrong a million times. I don't know why you'd think employees okay. would be any different. But, um, so, uh, but his great idea for when he was over here was actually doing song titles. So as we're going through this, if you can come up with a fun song title to match in with the news, uh, that would be great. We'll actually be putting together a uh, spotify playlist at the end of this as well and kicking it out <laughs> no way, so no, uh, if you'd like to listen along then by all means you. i've you got can some treats that. to you
3: then in that regard
0: <laughs> <laughs> the weirder the songs the better let's get on with the news Right, so first up we have one on Behance.net. Ooh, never heard of that one before. Uh, This was submitted by Jonas on Fintech Insider News. This is Google Bank Application Concept. This looks
3: pretty interesting. There was some really fun things in here. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, so, I mean, Behance is a site for creative professionals to showcase their work, and uh, so Dream Team here has knocked up a conceptual view of what Google might look like if it was doing banking. So it's not actually a bank, it's, as you kind of expect, um, an aggregation play they've shown, uh, with sort of a range of use cases around, you sort of bringing together your accounts, uh, providing marketplace for loans, bill splitting, peer-to-peer payments, pretty nicely uh, visually mocked up. Um, now, I've got to say, that this kind of feels to me like exactly what Google will do in the future uh, with a sort of open banking environment. You kind of think about Google's mission being about organizing and making accessible information, and you look at aggregation plays like Google Shopping and Google Flights, this sort of feels right up that street. It's not to do with Google, but I mean, what do we think? Surely under PSD2, this is kind of what's coming. I love it as a Google nut.
2: I absolutely love this. I would encourage you to go Google Google bank application concept because that's how you'll find it and view it. And it just kind of reminds me of like the first time I ever put all of my email accounts into Gmail and I had it all in one place and I was just like, finally, it's kind of got that feeling about it. And, of course, this isn't done by Google. It's done, as you say, by a design agency. But it just imagines what it would be. And I think we need more of
4: this, imagining what the future looks like. Do you think that's going to help, Dave? I I mean, my observation, I mean, I agree with what you're saying about it. I mean, whether it's the right, I'm not a UX guy. I mean, it looks nice to me whether it's the way forward. I couldn't say. What I will say is a very good friend of mine went on a study tour of the States a few months ago and he told me that the only people that asked him about PSD2 were Google and Facebook. The banks didn't ask him about it. The credit card companies didn't ask him about it. The merchants didn't ask him about it. The only people that asked about, it, and they knew all about it, by the way, um, were Facebook and Google. So I think the, the idea that there's going to be um, this kind of rich new environment sitting on top of the banking layer, like, I, I, I agree with that completely. And it's one of the reasons why we – I can't remember if it was here or somewhere else. We, we were talking before about why, why I was a little bit negative about some of the challenger bank stuff because, to me, they seem too similar to the incumbents. And you can't help feeling this shows the real challengers aren't, you know, starling and they're doing a great job. But it's Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon. Well, I think definitely somebody who can come in
0: with infinity customers and infinity infinity budget. You know, like, I think there was a lot of interesting comments on this one in FinTech Insider News where people were sort of not really think, well, thinking forward in terms of some of the technology that some of this stuff actually wouldn't be possible in the PSD2 that was actually designed in this space. So I, I kind of wonder, whether there's
1: a whether this is just a flight of fancy is there a reality to this that could actually be delivered well i think there's two sides to this firstly i mean we commented on the the monzo mock-up a couple of episodes ago where again a student and someone had come together to say how can we take this forward i love the idea that you can teach design by using the voice of a brand that's already out there and then extending you know what would it look like how would how could i improve this thing that to me is like how the old masters learned to paint. It's like copy all of these great interfaces, extend it, like show us what's what's going on. And wouldn't that be amazing to be to see Behance and a whole series of sites with, here's Lloyd's bank and here's what I do with it. And here's Barclays and here's what I do with it. I mean, if you got like all of the design schools working on that, I think that would be amazing. I don't know. The, the, difference, the difference
0: there is like Google will hire these people, like Lloyd's would sue them, right? You know, like there's going to be like branding infringement and all these different things that had happened so yeah, but there's
4: not there's nothing lloyds and those other guys i mean I, I think if you're you you've got to look somewhere else to compete if you're one of the incumbents because you can't compete with this and 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 what would happen i think in practice is because to, to your point google and I, they have so much money you know they can buy anybody that comes up with anything interesting so they're in they're like a black hole sucking this stuff in it's inevitable that they will end up dominating that space
1: but I guess moving back to the the story that, um, that although some of the comments on on this, I do agree that the CMA APIs and the PSD two mandated ones like don't include things like webhooks, push notifications, or metadata, or a variety of other things actually to deliver you know, a great proposition, you probably want. So I totally... Well,
4: I totally... As they stand now, they're just these JSON. So, so yes, yeah. you you need another layer in between, but Google and Apple will build that. Oh, yeah. Also, the other thing is, you know, we're sitting around talking about this. I just read, walking into the building, I'm looking at my Twitter, just walking into the building, about Square applying for their banking licence uh, in the States today. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this isn't some kind of isolated flight of fancy. This, this represents an absolute. We had this with the telco
2: sector. There was a time in which voice over IP and Skype sat alongside mobile phones. And then eventually Skype added the functionality for you to be able to call a mobile phone. And then eventually it's just like, yeah, but you still sort of call people but voice over IP is kind of massive for some sections of the world. Some sections of the world completely ignore it but it, this is a point Jason makes quite often is these two paths diverge and this whole new market is built and maybe it's not going to be relying on the terrible APIs that are produced by people who really don't want there to be APIs who don't want to be disaggregated and disintermediated. It's going to be people either building APIs from new products, new banks, new services amongst the fintechs that allow you to aggregate a bunch of fintechs together rather than building on top of the incumbents
0: but but why wouldn't google just build a bank you know there's lots of talks about because banks are regulated regulations hard but but regulation regulation is it means you have to disclose things and
4: why would you you want to do that
0: you set up a separate entity as a bank you wouldn't do it as google it would be google bank on the side you know alphabet or whatever they're called now 26 or something like they're going to be oh, a, bet. like a number or a color soon. i No, sure no, they but- could,
4: you could buy something like Tandem and have it as a subsidiary or something like that. But it, but I, th- and that might, I don't know enough about those st- corporate structures, but I would have thought a more likely first step is they'll get payment institution licenses and form yeah. subsidiaries with PI licenses and drive it out of there
3: for the time. Is that a possible? Totally yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I can't see one to go into the full regulated spectrum of banking. And again, it varies by country and the so scalability is not there. If you want to, Be Google and be global, but yeah, payment-based license. I think actually quite a lot of them already have. Facebook does, uh, Apple does, clearly, Amazon does. So I don't know if Google does or not. But Amazon,
4: Amazon, I think, is a. People always talk about Facebook and Google when they're talking about these things. But like, if you if you start drawing up a little matrix of who's got what and when, you know, Amazon is a. Potential they're, behemoth in this space.
2: They're in place for it, but I wonder if the UX would be as beautiful as that. I mean, the song I picked for this one was Some Mix a Lot, Baby Got Back, because the UX is just stunning. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but then, but now Amazon know a lot about APIs. Can I make one tangentially irrelevant point about voice over IP? Of course. That's what this yeah, podcast what is built on. Years and years and years ago, I wrote something, and it doesn't matter what it was for, but it's because in our office, in our old office, we moved into consult IP, and all those years ago, we had these. Everybody had Virgin at home, and so all the phone calls were free. So everybody could make free phone calls to to guys. And even though phone calls were free, people still used Skype. And this was in the early days of it. I was like thinking, like, why do people go to the trouble of running Skype when the phone call? Because I'm old, so you pick up the phone. And the answer was because when you ran Skype, you could see whether somebody was there or not. You know, and it was (laughs) it wasn't anything to do with the call itself.
3: You know what I mean? It's a lot and of service thing. around it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so. going to give you one other song title. Um, okay. Just because I love the name of this. You, you probably don't want to play it. I did play it and it's not great listening, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rock Band Deus. Fire up the Google beast algorithm. I mean, wow. It's a genuine song.
4: Awesome. I, wow. I, I feel many, that I I feel many like a song to written it. by an AI.
0: I'm happy that's in my life
2: Indeed,
4: now. Indeed, yeah. You.
0: Well, Google that, guys. Uh, moving on. So next up, we've got a story on marketingweek.com. And this is First Direct repositions itself and admits that customer service is no longer a differentiator. Interesting statement. What do we think about this, Jason?
1: My mind's blown My mind's blown By this uh, guy In a spacesuit Hopping Like he's on the moon Across rivers And buildings And skies And I I can imagine The advertising agency uh, Which is I think it's The Karma Group uh, Used to be Karma Rama Before Accenture Bought them Pitching this You know This must have Just got some people Going what We're going to have A spaceman uh, Pushing forward First direct So Zoe This is an advert Yes A whole campaign So Zoe Burns shaw who's first directs head of brand and marketing says that the reality is good consumer service now comes with the territory it's not something people it's just something people expect in the amazon age on its own it isn't enough of a brand differentiator anymore the problem is if you spend too much of your advertising talking about customer service then unless you're already a customer you don't really have any idea of what that means so they're positioning themselves and they've got this statement as a modern digital bank so, you know, First Direct has obviously done phenomenally well around the phone. You know, they are – if you Correct. if you want to bank by the phone, by phone banking, they are the the guys you go to. Great customer reviews, like HSBC systems behind the scenes, HSBC banking app. But blow HSBC away in terms of the black brand versus the red bat brand in terms of uh, customer experience. So I find it really interesting that they're now sort of saying, actually, we're going to be the modern digital bank. And push forward that their app, a hundred pounds switching incentive, and then be uh, championing technology such as voice-activated ID and mortgage schemes. Like, wow, okay,
0: yeah, I, good on them. I don't, I don't get the action to the headline. Like, I get the headline. I don't get the doing something connected to the headline. If that, well, that
4: I mean what they're, what they're say, well, I think what they're saying. Well, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on these kind of things, but I think what they're saying is that. You know, you can have great customer service. That's good if you're trying to compete with other banks. Yeah. But, you know, the next phase of competition, you're not competing with, bar- as you've just been saying – you're competing with Google and Amazon all of a sudden. But how, so, how does that connect to the spaceman walking across well, the... So oh, I couldn't say. That they're sounds saying, like that, they're, from they're saying that their
2: market awareness is still less than 5%. They want people to know who they are. Now, I don't know about you, but I see those TV adverts all the time, and I get to the end and I'm like, what was that? Oh, oh it was a car thing. Like, what? <laughs> and, and I actually,
4: I was in an actual... It doesn't matter why, but I was I was, in, a, I was in an actual... <laughs> I feel it's going to matter why. I was, I was in an actual focus group once for a bank thing to do with a new... Probably one of things where they, they have... People people in the middle and you're around the edge and wow. you're not allowed to say anything but you can listen to what the person's saying and they were trying to get these people to to link the bank brands with the thing and people were sitting there saying oh no oh i love the advert with the horse and so the guy goes oh that's great And which bank was that and the guy goes nationwide <laughs> you don't know I mean like they they don't mean anything yeah. it's weird but you'd
2: recognize the logo if you saw it and I think we this- would right you know, we fintech nerds, of course we would. And, and there's another interesting quote in here that says, um, the emergence of Atom and Monzo has been helpful in a lot of ways. What they both do is get the basics right. But what the reality is their offers are quite narrow. What I think is interesting here is what's between the lines is a marketing publication has published uh, – something about a bank doing an interesting advert but between the lines of the quotes what i'm hearing is we tried to sell ourselves on having customer service we need to refocus around digital which isn't a big surprise for any bank anywhere in the world you need good digital stuff and you are competing with consumer mindshare with the consumer brands like google and others i don't know that an advert that i don't understand that that has the first direct logo at the end really helps with that but good on the Karma Agency.
0: Well, I, I, I think I think we have to say at least, you know, well-played when you're on top. And they've been on top for, like, four or five years when it comes to custom satisfaction. I can't
1: believe they're 28 years old. Yeah, it's What's 1989. The idea of
4: the spaceman saying, like...
2: Don't know. Hey, there was a great advert with a Platypus as well that I... Didn't... I just loved the advert, and it took me six months to figure out it was anything to do with a bank. It was, But it's fantastic. Like, Platypus and First Direct, stick that into Google. It's brilliant. But I, I I, don't know if it helps brand awareness at all. It just, I really like the Platypus.
0: And on that note, let's maybe move on. Um, going on to the next story. So we have on e27.co, a new one on me again. Uh, so this is, report says India is about to overtake Chinese fintech. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement right there. Simon, what do you think?
2: Yeah so this is uh based on a study done by uh Ernst and Young which the uh, article in E27 kindly points out now known as EY um <laughs> so uh, this is uh, more rebranding yeah so the the fintech adoption at a glance so of People who are digitally active in a given country, they've ranked how many of them are using one or more fintech apps. And they've got this really nice uh, circular diagram that says China has about 69% of the population that are digitally active using fintech apps. India is second with 52%. The UK is third with 42%. And then you've got Brazil and Australia, 40 and 37, respectively, with the USA down um, sort of in 10th place uh, in 33%. They're Which not, not going to like that, are they? I, I let's let's definitely bug Sam about that which apparently 33% is about average
4: but it's a fairly arbitrary category I mean I I I wouldn't want to comment on the infographic because when I try to read okay what is a fintech they've got a fairly kind of arbitrary categorization of what is a fintech so it's 69% of people in China are using something that's arbitrarily categorized as fintech so it, I didn't think the story was that interesting, to be completely I,
3: honest. I, I so agree. I mean, the categorizations are so. I um, mean, like insurance price comparison sites, people wouldn't normally call that a Finsec generally. Um, Maybe it's but also, you go India, I mean, Aadhaar, digital identity, is that not everyone's using that? Like, I just, I don't, I don't get the statistics at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think Sorry there's though. a,
0: there's a huge amount of sort of, um, uh, you know, it's not PR. There's a huge amount of excitement about China and the investments and everything that's coming out of China. But I think equally the, that India actually does have the potential to be doing equally interesting things with equal scale of, uh, an audience and, and returns. So I, I, I guess we probably just, agree with this yeah i I think
2: how the report's been put together and the point it makes are two separate things how the report's been put together yeah it's kind of weird it's kind of questionable don't really understand how they've got to their numbers but hey good on them um but the point that india as a rising fintech market where people do
1: interesting things with digital and finance completely agree but who's behind fintech in india Actually, it's a lot of the China guys. So you've got Alibaba with the largest share in 197, which is the parent company of PayTM. I was looking down the article, Tencent, who are thought to be investing in India's number two e-wallet, Moby Quick. It's like suddenly you've got China and India and actually the big Chinese like guys who have.
4: Who yeah. I was going to say India, India ought to be further ahead. So the, I think the thing in India was India had. Uh, you know, they had the talent and they had the tech companies and they had the entrepreneurs and they had the innovation. What they didn't have was the regulation. And because the Indian uh, central bank was very, very conservative, especially towards mobile payments, mm um it took a long long time and then a couple of years ago they decided to have their equivalent of payment institutions the payment Mm. bank yeah and now all of a sudden you've got these you know airtel and people piling into this sort of thing so when we had the demonetization didn't
0: we which which is a fantastically
4: interesting experiment so so you know india would be i i personally think would be further ahead than where it is now Mm. Purely because of regulation, not, yeah. not because of anything to do with indigenous they, talent I mean, or expertise.
3: On the, I, I agree with that. I guess the thing that has happened with regulation there, they, um, I forget which body it is, National Payment Council or whatever, drove the Unified Payment Interface uh, launched last year, which has got some bits of the uh, open banking in there. And that's live and launched and uh, being used by people and companies. And uh, that's pretty impressive, actually. And almost no countries in the world have that. So, yeah, they've got, definitely got some big uh, pluses in India. What, what do you reckon then? Song title? Are we going for the rocky
0: theme? Red car, blue car? What, what do you want to go for this one? Any, any suggestions?
2: I think if I'm in China, I'm thinking 50 cent and candy shop. Like this is, this is the, the, the mega giants looking at a mega market that has a lot of similarities. They've just moved from a country like China with an emerging middle class where digital is becoming key to financial services. If you're 10 cent, if you're Alipay, you're looking at India and thinking, Absolutely, this
0: can do that. Indeed, this is going to be quite an eclectic mix in this Spotify playlist. I'm just uh, just pointing no, out. No one's going to listen to this, but well, I'll have it on all week. <laughs> um, next up, we have the South China Morning Post, which I, I have to say is my every morning post that I read. Uh, submitted by uh, Gary Fagan on uh, Fintech Insider News: China's fintech firms eye overseas IPOs to fund growth as regulations tighten at home. So this is basically them looking for funding elsewhere where they can't get funding home because they've said it's illegal. Is this right, Simon? I think so.
2: I can't really get my head around the story because it's... Looking for IPOs overseas to fund growth makes sense because we've seen a lot of um, Chinese regulations in the past few weeks starting to be enforced. Mm. And if you're a tech firm and you're looking for growth, we've talked on this show a number of times about looking externally for the growth. I mean, the last story was exactly about looking externally for growth. Uh, So I can see why they're eyeing it. But there's this, this constant challenge that we come back to with any of the tech giants from China, which is it's very hard for Western companies to get into China. It's very hard for Chinese companies to get out of China and into into the West. Africa and India seem to be the place to go, but we saw that um, Money Corp, was it? Money Gram, I get those two mixed up, sorry. So I, I think we could see more of this activity, but I confess uh, I haven't been too close to this story.
4: I'm actually going to... Um, I'm only saying this to make you jealous, of course, but I'm going to China the week after next, actually, so... That does make me jealous, yeah. i um I'll uh, I'll report back on what the latest is when I get back
1: from there. That seems to be uh, like such a common occurrence now. The number of people like a few years ago, who's like, I'm just off to Silicon Valley, you know, I'm I'm off to San Francisco, and now everyone you talk to is like, I'm off to China, I'm off to Shenzhen, I'm off to, and like the a, number an of exec people
0: literally said it to me this week that he is off to China to check Do out got what's to, happening. Sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so so Richard, <laughs> tell us about like your trip to China. What what was it that grabbed your or, or what were the key things that That made you go, wow!
3: Um, I mean, scale of the market is immense. Uh, Speed of adoption. People talk about if we haven't got ten million users in three six months on an app, it's a failure. The kind of internal competition that's encouraged, called horse racing, because of culture of internal. I mean, so I think someone told me that in uh, WeChat, um, there were three different teams working on different versions of wechat effectively so it's kind of in mean, so many things uh actually the, the one other one i'd, I'd have to mention uh, this, this is kind of worthy of many beers discussion but um uh, alibaba kind of etched in my head um the number's nine nine six so uh working hours expectation uh nine till nine six days a week wow that's the base um so yeah so many things it's uh, it's an amazing amazing place to be. H- HR not a thing apparently
0: <laughs> in China. So that's it's uh, good to know. Moving on. So next story we have from Finextra and this was submitted on Fintech Insider News by Andrew Earl. This is Deutsche Bank boss says big number will be replaced by robots. Mm-hmm. I like to start with I was like a bit confused and and Laura we spoke about this one like the idea that a big number was going to replace People, <laughs> I couldn't get what number that was. It's like, just a
2: really, really tall number, seven. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it, it was so I was very confused. I'll be honest with you. But uh, Richard, what, what, uh, what's Deutsche Bank's boss been up to here?
3: Yeah, it kind of sounded Trumpian to me. But anyway, maybe <laughs> it was just, just kind of me, uh, sort of stated, um So <laughs> I, I, I haven't heard the speech, um, and possibly it's taken out of context. But he doesn't seem like some of the best quotes to be saying if you've got 100,000 staff you're motivating um, sort of people are behaving like robots and their job's going to go um, so um, I guess though the, the, the thing that underlies this is AI is here it's been here for a while machine learning is not new but it's advancing really fast with massive parallelization and all the um, deep learning techniques and so on and I guess Andrew Ng, who's kind of one of the, the gurus on AI globally, uh, Baidu, Google, likes to talk about AI as being the new electricity and how kind of the whole electricity came in and changed everything, like every sector, your home living, all that moved um, with electricity and how that's going to clearly change the world um, but will be everywhere and just kind of under the surface. And I guess the thing here is, for me, I think that should be, more positions are positive rather than a negative, because I think people don't really want to do routine, repetitive tasks, and people are best at creativity and empathy, and it gives a chance for people to do jobs that are probably more enjoyable on the back of it. There was a horrible
1: quote on, the truthful answer is, we don't need as many people. In our banks, we have people behaving like robots doing mechanical things. Tomorrow, we're going to have robots behaving like people. Wow, for the CEO of Deutsche Bank to, uh, to say that you know, Ew, you imagine being an employee.
0: That sounds <sighs> like a bit of a rant, doesn't it? Really? Like, um, Quite I, mean, I get it.
2: This is this is the piece about what's the competitive advantage of a human. Like what should you really be optimizing humans to do? Where are humans at their strongest? When they're empathizing, when they're being creative, when they're solving problems, not when they're following processes and ticking boxes. There's a point there that can be made that I think is really important, but there's a better way to to make this come out in the press. I but I, I do think there's probably some creative headline writing, but
1: still But and actually most banks are, are, are talking about augmentation. They're talking about oh, no, AI is not going to replace people. It's just going to be that, that assistant. It's going to make people 10 times more effective and efficient. You're essentially the people who are there now will be able to do more creative things. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's true. I think that there's a lot of PR around that, that especially, you know, the big vendors, you know, you've got everyone who's pushing AI. I
4: think, I think it's just a... The last time I actually called my bank about anything, they have this little chat thing, which I quite like on the phone was because I needed to know what my IBAN was, and I couldn't figure it out by looking at my thing. It's stupid stuff like that. You don't need people uh-huh. to to do, like, what's my IBAN. You know, can you put me through to a bot, please? Because I'd rather talk to a bot
5: about this sort of thing.
4: Um, but, I'd, but as a serious point, a lot of the jobs that are going to be replaced are the jobs that have already been outsourced. I mean, to your point about these kind of... Rep- so actually, for some of these banks, they've already outsourced a lot of the basic stuff. It's already done in... India and China. So it isn't people in Deutsche Bank in Germany who are going to lose their jobs. It's people who are providing these services to Deutsche Bank out in Vietnam or somewhere because, because you're going to be replacing them with a, with a connection into some cloud, something or other.
1: But I think people in Germany, in Deutsche Bank, are going to be losing their jobs, whether it's blockchain in the absence of needing to do reconciliation, or whether it's uh, back offices that are just 10 or 100 times smaller than they currently are. I think that the traditional operations of the maker, checker, and everything in between are going to be radically changed. In Never an underestimate an incumbent's no, no, no. ability to Look, be terrible I, at automation. In,
4: in the long run, that absolutely must be true. You know, in the long run, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, half of what we do is going to be replaced by machines. But in, in the short term, those mechanical repetitive jobs that are going to be replaced have already been outsourced. Mm. So the so the impact on the incumbents probably isn't I think anyway, isn't quite as big as it's gonna mm. seem there.
2: You know? So Deutsche Bank are just too botilicious. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Goodness me. I've got
3: got a couple of song titles here. Um,
1: Okay, go on then, Richard. You can tell the guy on Gardening Leave who's like, I'm off on Spotify.
3: And I have listened to all this stuff. I wouldn't recommend you do, but I have. Um, So Tokyo Police Club, Citizens of Tomorrow. It's a song all about kind of robots taking over the world and taking everyone's jobs. Um, And it's kind of slightly more mainstream. Craftwork, the robots. Um, I thought about Radiohead. That's a good call,
4: but I really... You see, you guys aren't older. I would stick with Hawkwind all the way on this sort of thing, so... Uh, So you start with robot, robot, which I love. And followed by It's the Business of the Future to be Dangerous, which I also love. Oh, that's a good title. Go, go, that's go, a book go back title to the roots. there. Go back to the roots. On that
0: note, yeah, yeah, uh, before we it. just new, move to our sponsors, so uh, we never have time quite to cover all of the news stories. That happens every week. Uh, but if you want to get involved in, uh, and actually start shaping the show, then go to www.fintechinsidernews.com to read more about the stories that we've discussed and many more besides that as well. You can sign up. You can be a contributor. You can just read it every Every day. It's really up to you. Let's hear from our sponsors. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com.
3: Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
2: Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com.
4: This episode of FinTech Insider is brought to you by SmartDX, a smart communication solution. The days of managing capital markets documentation using Word docs and emails are over when you use SmartDX in its innovative collaborative negotiation environment, built by the industry for the industry. SmartDX simplifies drafting, negotiation, and execution of all capital markets documentation for all asset classes and product types while giving you transparency, control, and digital data that can be extracted at any point in the process. Learn more at www.smartcommunications.com smartDX.
0: Great. And before we just get back into the news, uh, I spent a little bit of time with Alison Rose at the Entrepreneurial Spark for RBS this week. Let's have a listen to what happened there. Fantastic. So uh, we're now sitting here with Alison Rose at a really, really interesting event. So Alison, tell us a little bit more about your job, what you do at RBS, because you've got a pretty impressive role.
5: So I'm really lucky. I have a great role. It's the best job in the bank. I look after all of our corporate, commercial and private banking part of the bank. So anything that's business related, you know, my team supports. That's a great, that's a great, fantastic role. And today is about launching our 13th hub of Entrepreneurial Spark, which is a programme I sponsor to help entrepreneurs set up and give them support.
0: And I think it's a it's a really interesting one, because I, you know, listening to you speak a second ago, talking about, you know, funding isn't the only thing that entrepreneurs really need to make their companies successful. So, how does the Entrepreneur Spark program actually help businesses?
5: So, it's, a, it's I mean, exactly right. A lot of the time, entrepreneurs, particularly when they're starting up, they, they actually don't need debt. The last thing they need is debt. But what they do need is, you know, advice, they need support in how to develop business plans, they need coaching, they need to know how to pitch and put a business idea together, and then access to all the different help. So there are lots of grants you can get for entrepreneurs, which is not debt but actually equity investing. There are lots of advisors that you can help them with and, and investors you can connect them with. So this program, I describe it as a way of providing real wraparound care to entrepreneurs, helping them develop, helping them know to where, where to go for help, and giving them support. So it really is starting them off. And then, yes, if they do need funding, we're here to help them. But actually, for a lot of them, it's really getting that initial advice to take an idea or a business that they've been dreaming about and working out how to get going. So it's connecting the ecosystem as well, because for entrepreneurs... It's about all this help you can get. But it's so confusing. Where do you go so we can connect the ecosystem and really facilitate that for them?
0: You know, that sounds like as an entrepreneur or like that type of experience when you're starting up a company is, is fantastic. I, I guess the, the question is, what, what's in this for, for you guys? Because this seems like you're, you know, you're giving so much in terms of a, a platform in this instance. So what, what's the what's the benefit to, to RBS?
5: So we get loads of benefits. So you're right, we, we don't, we, we do this for the entrepreneur, it's free. So we don't, we don't charge Um, we don't take equity in their businesses, they don't have to bank with us. So it is genuinely, uncynically, completely free. Um, But what we get out of it is, um, so long term, the more businesses that can start up and and survive and, and become part of the economy, the more jobs you create, the healthier the UK economy is. So for us as a bank, that's helping us support our customers. It really does help us learn what it is to be an entrepreneur. So... I think one of the big problems that banks had in the past was they lost connection with their customers. And frankly, banks only exist to serve their customers. That's why we're here. Um, and what it teaches my bankers is to understand what a business goes through when they're starting up. Because it's very easy when you're a banker to go, well, I understand how it works. But actually, really knowing what a, what a struggling entrepreneur goes through, what it takes to make a business survive, then we can learn and shape my business. So I'm taking all the learnings from that and saying, OK, what do I need to do to help these businesses? It makes my bankers be entrepreneurial um, and fast thinking and and really change the way they do things. And it helps us connect into the local communities and be part of that support. So we get massive amounts out of it. And then, you know, hopefully if we've done that, we've built trust with these companies, they'll want to come and do business with us. But for me, it's because they want to, not a condition of being here. So I think we're making a difference to the economy.
0: And are you seeing, uh, and like you say, that fundamentally you can change GDP here by, you know, making businesses more successful? Is that something that we're, we're seeing, I guess, in terms of because uh, the, the sort of mortality rate of uh, startups is pretty severe, isn't it? Yeah,
5: it's really severe. I mean, I think the, the global average is after two years, only 40% are still trading. Companies that have been through this program, which is really a mindset and support program, after two years, we have 87% of those companies still trading. So it's really making a meaningful difference. And we can look at the, the companies that have gone through this program, real jobs they've created, you know, real investment that's gone into them. So it's tangibly making a difference. And I think that's really important because you've got to support them right the way through their life cycle. Some of these businesses, problems you have when you're a startup very different to then when you start scaling up and you suddenly have a team to run, to then trading internationally, to then becoming a, a much bigger business. So you've got to help them right the way through the chain. And I guess that's what we can do. But we can see you know, 80, 80 plus percent survival rates after two years. Those are real jobs created, real investment in the UK, real trading. I think that's the meaningful difference I want to see to UK business.
0: Fantastic. Well, I, th- I think we're going to come back soon and s- meet some of the startups and see what's uh, what's going and what they're doing. But Alison, thank you very much for joining Pleasure.
5: Great. Thank you very much.
0: And we are back for the second part full of what seems like reasonable sort of regret about our song choices for, for part one. So uh, Dave, Dave came up with at least... Ten good robot ones, which no doubt we'll add for you, uh, Dave, uh, at a later date. Uh, so moving on to the the next story then. So this is one in Global Compliance News. And this was submitted by, uh, our, well, Richard, you're in the room and
4: you submitted this one, which is
1: pretty, pretty Pretty cool. And Global Compliance News, is that like a mainstream publication? Can I get that at... uh... I normally
4: only read it for the gardening tips. Uh, I was going to say, isn't
1: that one of your third
2: favourite fintech blogs? (laughs) Seriously,
0: it's
4: more than really. You've got to be honest. (laughs) So this
0: this story was actually really, really interesting. So this is Portugal bans cash payments for more than €3,000, which was quite an interesting sort of bold statement on that. There's all these different industries that are going to be put out of business, really sort of uh, gambling... Drug dealing. Yeah. You know, like I feel bad for these guys. They are the true entrepreneurs, aren't they? Uh-huh. Um but Richard, what
3: what do we really think about this? So it's anything over three thousand euros in cash is banned. There's also some specific guff about um cash tax payments. So it's clearly a tax related um initiative and I'm sure also they're kind of targeting wider uh, money laundering and uh, illicit activities. Kind of as you say I can't really think of that many legit activities that need you to carry 3,000 euros of cash around and pay it. Um, it's sort of more convenient and secure generally to use cards and electronic bank transfers and SEPA. So I kind of it seems really sensible, and I sort of wonder, will other countries follow suit? Because I, I, the reason I posted it was it, it kind of sparked my interest on, like, how big is the shadow economy and such like? So I've had a kind of quick look around, and... Uh, so shadow economy in the uk is 150 billion pounds wow. uh, the average size of gdp in a developed nation is 13 percent um, and in the uk the bank of england so this is not some dodgy source bank of england published a report a year ago that said that they reckoned half of banknotes in circulation were being used for shadow economy activity wow. so like Cash is king for the shadow economy, so this sort of feels pretty sensible. Um, I kind of wonder, will they withdraw the euro five hundred? Bank well because again, don't know you, but it sort of feels hard to cash a five some detailed above? figures for you on page one hundred. Oh, oh, look at this! <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave. Dave should be speaking about it. so, on, take it <laughs> Dave,
0: take away. Dave Birch did his homework, and literally wrote the book on the subject <laughs> right now.
2: God, so, thank,
0: over to you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, step right
2: up.
4: well I'd right say up. there's two there's two interesting parts. So so the general point, which is you know, do people really need to carry around lots of cash for legit? Well, of course they don't. And you know, I I mentioned you know I ran into an old friend of mine actually coming out of the bank with a with a suit. It was like a spy thing. He gets, he's got fifteen thousand thousand pounds in cash. Like, Why did you get fifteen thousand pounds again? I'm going to pay the builder. So I said, like semi-jokingly, well, you should be prosecuted for conspiring to defraud Her Majesty's revenue and customs because you know perfectly. And he goes, no, well, I don't know. <laughs> that was my friend's get out clause, right? I don't know that the builder is not going to pay VAT and he's not going to pay no sales PAYE and yeah. whatever.
1: You but know, it was strange so, you, like, you gave me exactly 20% discount.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a 20% discount, but I don't know why. So clearly, um, the use of cash. The Bank of England actually divide it into a couple of different categories. So they say that the cash out there, which is inexplicably huge compared to the use of cash in the economy, is divided into what they call stashes and hoards. So in other words, there are stashes, which is money that's used for criminal Sounds purposes, like a video game. and <laughs> and there's hoards, which is money that was acquired legally but is being kept out of sight. You know, and of course, no one knows exactly. How much is going in either of those, what, what, but what's the legitimate it's a reasonable reason assumption for hordes though. What's the legitimate reason for hordes? Well, actually, there's an interesting, arg- I mean, I don't want to sort of divert the whole thing to an argument about like this, but there's an argument which says actually because interest rates are very low, um, and people don't trust banks, then they'll keep the money at home under the bed. Um, rather than pay negative interest rates and stuff like that. Yeah, I, it, I don't buy that. Really but
2: isn't big. inflation still there? So actually, you're just, yeah. you're inflating away. Yeah. Like your money's actually decreasing in value. So I,
4: I'm not sure about the hoarding kind of thing, but your point's correct. So, so if you do the, if you do the numbers, uh, the amount of cash in circulation goes up every year despite the use of cash in retail transactions going down. The cash gap is just getting bigger and bigger. And we can pretend to ourselves, that it's not used for drug dealing, money laundering, but obviously it is. So, you know, you can see the Portuguese argument. For, for What's odd about the Portuguese story, of course, is that the finance sector are exempt from it. So the people that are doing the dodgiest transactions <laughs> of all, you know, investment banks and so on, Um, aren't covered by these regulations. It's just scrap metal dealers and used car sales. That's handy then, isn't it?
1: But there's that, um, there's that irrational libertarian, like, you know man i should be able to do whatever i want with my money without oversight from the government view you know your own bank i'm not saying that's that's correct in any way shape or form but it's almost like that identity cards in the uk is like i don't want to be tracked i don't want you to prevent me from doing that thing and i'm looking over to simon for the bitcoin libertarian sort of like view that uncensorability of transactions you're censoring me man
4: yeah so so i there is this you know mom can't stop me from buying a playstation um kind of view of the World is certainly prevalent in a particular age group and demographic uh, around this. are all, but strange. that's not quite the right <laughs> argument. So, so is there an argument which says if we're going to replace cash, should we replace it with some other anonymous thing? I'm not so sure about that. I, you know, you've got to be very careful weighing up the pluses and minuses. Should we replace it with something that's more private than than what we have now with credit cards? And I think the answer that's probably yes. Um, so, in countries like the UK where we ought to have a kind of active policy as to what we're going to do to manage cash down rather than just let it happen. Um, one element of that ought to be, let's construct a payment system that works the way society wants it to work, not just take whatever the technologists give us. Why don't we sit down with the Minister for FinTech and the Minister for the Digital Economy and work out what is a payment system supposed to do and then tell the tech guys to go and implement that?
1: Which is that classic thing, that you know we advise all startups about it's like find that use case and then apply technology to it but i guess it's interesting from a that broader perspective that actually even looking beyond just one fintech the whole market and like what, is, what are these use cases what are the outcomes that we're looking for and how can technology more broadly be a, be applied to make that yeah happen? i
4: think i think you know there there are there are plenty of use cases where where i mean we we would all agree privacy is an appropriate Um, thing are there are there a lot of (laughs) are there a lot of use cases where anonymity is I it's a a difficult argument I'm not not so sure confidentiality and
2: anonymity are two different things aren't they
1: it was interesting when we were doing interview for Monzo when we were actually when I was looking at what do people want and how does it work and what are those use cases there was I remember a few people that were looked at me aghast at the idea that they would have a feed that detailed all of their transactions that actually, you know, it uh, brings me to incognito mode for browsing. There are some things that I just don't want in my browsing history. And there are some things I don't want bought out in my uh, my sort of bank statement. But And so we've got this rise of, you know, transparency and data and being in control of our own data. But there are things that actually just people don't want tracking for a variety of reasons. Uh, yeah, but who gets to see it
2: versus does it exist are two different questions. I don't necessarily want everybody to be in the world to be able to see my transactions, but then those transactions existing and if they are criminal, then being recorded is probably quite useful. And there's a nuance there that's important.
4: I, th- I think the TFL, I-, I quite like using the Transport for London um, example as a way of thinking about this. So on. On Transport for London, one of the objections to Oyster cards was that the man is tracking you wherever you go and all this sort of thing. And they came up with a reasonable compromise. So they said, I think it's 42 days, seven weeks, six weeks. So, so essentially your transactional data is kept for a certain number of weeks and then the identity part is thrown away. The rest of it's kept because they use it for traffic analysis and historical analysis. You know, so basically if somebody gets murdered on a train platform and the police want to know who was on the platform at the time, that's a pretty reasonable request to make. Um, it's probably not reasonable to go back trawling through years of data to find out, you know, where I was on these days and does it correlate with where you were on these days without our consent. So, so it ought to be possible, you know, to construct an appropriate settlement i think in this space it's just no one's really tried to do it yet and so you get caught up in these arguments because you've got the bitcoin guys on one side oh it's the man was sort of thing um and then you've got idiot regulators on the other side who want every little transaction traced and managed and except theirs Um, and there has to be a better way
2: forward. That, That granularity of data existing and me being in control of it, I think is exactly what general data protection regulation in Europe was designed to do, but actually the reality of implementing that hasn't been thought through, and it's a very difficult thing to achieve, because I think we all want data to be exist. We all want criminals to be caught. We all want some types of data to be seen and not seen, and having some AI or bot that can manage that on my behalf would be really, really cool, but the reality is we're a long way from that. Uh, and more data has been tracked by us each, every day. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like we need some sort of identity scheme or something <laughs> figuring I out. Call it,
4: I call uh, it the Hillary Clinton paradox, probably slightly unfairly. But she gave a big speech one a few years ago. She gave this big speech, which I would paraphrase as, you know, we want the Internet to be a free and open place for exchange of information, except for people we don't like. You know, and and that's the thing. I don't want. I want your transactions traced because you might be up to no good. I don't want my transactions traced. And we've got we've got to find a way through this. And it needs a more sophisticated level of discussion debate. And you know, the digital minister showing up on Radio Four and saying, "As from April next year, it'll be okay because when you log into a porn site, you can show them your passport." is a joke i mean this is not where we need to be in this in this debate
0: (laughs) moving on we have a story uh, actually published through ing so this is a it's not you it's me this was submitted by jonas bench on the uh, fintech insider news forum and what do we know about this one simon so like
2: norway uh, estonia sweden switzerland Belgium now has its own proper ID system, uh, a smart ID system, they call it. So last week, ING rolled out a new service to its customers, uh, and it's the first among the big four Belgian banks to do it. And they have a website, itsme.be forward slash en, if you want to read it in English. And this is the idea that I can log in with the same code everywhere, with a litany of passwords. It's basically last passed, but by the government, right? So this really cool idea, bye-bye card reader, bye-bye million different passwords for a million different banks, Bye bye, it's impossible to use. And, I, and when a government issues you this thing, if you go to these markets like Estonia, like Switzerland, like it's actually really easy to do banking. It's really easy to open a new bank account. But of course, the UK government has tried to do this several times. The US government's been trying to do it for decades, um, and ha- as have many others. And they seem to conspire to achieve very, very little. I mean, gov.verify was just atrocious um but I'm going to stop speaking because we have Dave Birch in the room
4: <laughs> well I, I actually I was at it's me um uh when was it last month I can't remember Russell's it's, it's a it's a really interesting so it's, it's not the government it's a consortium of the of the four biggest banks and the three biggest network operators so it so what's unusual and different is that you know 10 years ago um there are all these discussions remember in, in the next the six pack and all this kind of stuff so there are all these discussions about why don't banks and operators get together because it's an obvious thing to do banks, to, and, telcos, to, uh, yeah. banks and, and telcos to get together to do this and it's generally speaking in our environments it hasn't worked so it's very interesting to see this has actually got off the ground they've actually launched um it's uh it's a you know, if this kind of thing is done properly with the appropriate data protection and privacy enhancement sort of thing, it's an obvious step forward. Because you can't help feeling that if we don't have consortia like this coming into place to do this, then the banks are going to, the problem of, of identity is not going to go away. You know, if the banks don't fix it, somebody else is going to fix it. And that somebody else will be Facebook or
1: you know but but don't you think that actually the one of the sort of unintended potential side effects of psd2 is the is the creation of some kind of identity network around the credentials of logging into a bank then actually become the credentials and the basis of a of a much broader thing
4: well it's, uh, it certainly implies that i mean there's nothing in the standards or no. regulation that says how that's actually going to work but you're right i mean it's You can't see how it's going to work unless there's some kind of identity infrastructure there. What I like about this is we've been talking for some
2: time about banks... Being managing your identity as being the next commercial opportunity for them. And I haven't seen anywhere really around the world, other than smaller markets across Northern Europe, now it's coming into kind of Western Europe, where this has really happened. And Barclays, God bless them, had tried it with Gov.Verify, but that program never seemed to work. We hadn't seen it in the US, whereas in countries like India and China, there's a central state-managed identity scheme, and so they've kind of got a much easier uh, system of, of government identity but the banks there never really got involved in that commercial opportunity. This is a consortium of banks doing it. And if I'm in a, in a market where that's an opportunity, would I rather have Facebook or Google manage my identity? Or would I rather have somebody who's being paid and profiting from managing and looking after my identity rather than no, I you know, agree with somebody who's that. not making
4: money off the data? I, I think it's also the fact that they're regulated. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, the fact that it's a regulated institution that's managing this. Um, to me personally, I think is a, is good because it 's really sensitive data, and if it 's not handled properly, if things go wrong, it could be very wrong so I, I want it to be managed by somebody who has some accountability and responsibility, and it might as well be a bank. What I would say about this is I think the the basic service we could all imagine how this is going to work right so you have something on your phone. Barclays give me an app, you know, it's interoperable with Lloyd's and RB. I go to log into something, the Barclays app pops up on my phone. Like, you all see how that basic one works. But of course, what we want is the more sophisticated services that you guys were just talking about. So when I go and log on to the porn site, right, the porn site asks Barclays for my identity. Barclays need to know this is, a, this is an authorized porn site. They're allowed to ask for this sort of thing, but they mustn't know which one, right? Otherwise they'll try and cross sell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and similarly, the porn site knows that it's an authorised UK financial institution, which is attested to the fact you're over eighteen or whatever, but not which one. It needs so a you signed need the, attestation. Yes, you need this extra
3: level of sophistication to make the whole thing work. But this gets us a bit closer to it. So it's interesting. Like, the point about regulation is super interesting because, as you say, it, it, it gives the implied sort of trust and quality behind that. But I guess the the flip side of that. Um, I've got a t-shirt on at the moment, but if I kind of put my, my suit back on, kind of the, uh, the kind of some liability there, right? If you're. If you are saying someone is who they say are and kind of you actually haven't identified that person properly, kind of where's the liability to sit around that if that person's a bad actor and goes and does a bunch of stuff in the system? So I was having lunch with like the, the CIO of a Canadian bank a few months ago. That they've launched something like this in Canada, like um, secure keys behind it and stuff. Um and he was like, That's kind of like the unknown question. We've sort of made that leap of faith. Um but it's this possibly some interesting kind of black swan stuff. There, I, say. I, I think that's actually a positive for
4: the banks because theoretically banks are supposed to know how to manage risk. So if the bank is prepared to underwrite – in fact, in the old Identra scheme they did this because they would underwrite the transaction up to the value of the transaction. Yeah, so no, basically, I think if, that's been solved. Identra right. solved that. Yeah, yeah. so if I, if, I, if I buy a computer on eBay and it turns out I'm not the person that I – then yes, the bank is liable, but they're liable to the maximum value of that transaction, which seemed like a reasonable way forward. So I think this is the sort of thing banks ought to be able to manage and do properly. But it's I mean, the kind of thing business. where people
2: don't know that, Dave. So they get in all kinds of uh, quandaries and they get stuck in a tar pit of like, oh, but how do I solve that issue? These issues have all been solved before. They just need to call Dave Birch. <laughs> uh,
0: next up, we have a story on Finnextra. Uh, this was submitted by uh, Nigel Walsh on FinTech Insider News.
1: And this is Alipay Smile to pay comes to kfc it's not any kfc by the way the the thing that most interests me was i don't think it was uh, mentioned in this but it was kfc's healthy eating restaurant now now instantly that makes me go like I'm not gonna go there when I've got a hangover, or even when
2: I'm drunk. I'm, KFC's healthy eating just feels wrong. I didn't know it existed. It's like, like
1: that—that's Kentucky Grilled Chicken. Surely that's K, KGC. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. But anyway, there's one of these restaurants. Um, I think in China, there's only one. There's one. Wow. Which probably says a lot about the whole, niche, uh, uh, <laughs> a whole thing.
4: I was at um, a couple of weeks ago. I was in Atlanta. I'm only saying this to make him jealous. Jealous course, again, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I was at Seat, the sports, in, which is the biggest sports entertainment, uh, event. And one of our clients was, um, demoing a face recognition. And, and so basically you have an app, you're in the stadium, you order your burger and chips and whatever, your order number one, two, three. You walk in, you see tray number one, two, three. You pick it up and you walk out. Yeah. And as you walk in, there's a facial recognition thing which takes your picture. It knows so it's a, it knows that tray number one, two, three is supposed to be Dave Birch. It can see if it's Dave Birch, and if it matches up, you just walk out, and uh, it gives you a receipt and off you yeah. go. And I was really surprised by how well that stuff worked. So well, I, I think the the speed that that face recognition technology is coming along yeah, yeah. is amazing, and I. I don't want to get into all of the privacy and whatever, but just the way the technology works has come on in leaps and bounds. TensorFlow is now 99.67%
2: accurate in terms of facial recognition. It is unbelievable. It's better than humans significantly. So the fact that I can smile at somebody to pay is a really lovely idea. Like, what what does that do for the world oh and come uh, like, by like,
1: so uh, And just to kind of give the listeners a bit more background to the story – Uh, with this particular restaurant you can go in you look at a camera and smile which is a nice touch because there's there's something branding associated with that it's not just look at this this thing with a blank face like you're taking a passport photo so you smile at a camera 3d camera it looks at you does some liveness checks and then you verify with your phone number which is of course something that everyone knows what if it did like the snapchat filters
2: thing or if it did like the you know like the new instagram thing where you can have like stuff coming out of your face
1: or it Pushes a, a burger in your mouth like that would be really fun. So, so, but this is Ali as a new scheme, introducing a brand new way to pay with essentially a you know an identifier that's very difficult to fake, together with a with a verifier that everyone knows by heart. I mean, it's neat. It's it's, it's, a, it's, neat it's a
4: it's a great idea for the next series of Line of Duty, though, isn't it? You go in and buy something with a mask. It'll just be like Mission Impossible. I just want I just want I just want to, just want to read you something. I'm, just as a suggestion for value-added services, because we want to make this for viewers, you know, uh, for listeners. I just want to read you something verbatim. This is today's economist, not my words. This is today's economist. When shown a photo, each of a gay and straight man, the system chosen at random, the system distinguished between them correctly. 81% of the time, the model perf- with showed five photos of men, it attributed sexuality correctly. 91% of the time, slightly worse with women. In both cases, the performance outstrips human ability to make this. In other words, the KFC face radar is now a gaydar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm just, I. I don't have any ideas of value-added services, but I'm sure some people will see. I think that's for social with the Snapchat better, generation, better than people. Did yeah. you Did you hear these words down here? Yeah. Yeah. No, terrifying. The machine can tell whether people are gay just by looking at their faces it, in the street. It can do all. If that sort. doesn't terrify you, you're not reading this thing properly. <laughs> will, it, will it tell you bad people? Are like when, get,
0: I, when I'm buying that Zinger burger, will it will it kind of point out
4: some that's sort that's of <laughs> deep <laughs> thing that I don't know myself? But that I'm just saying. In my mind, face recognition for authentication is a wholly good idea. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So matching your face template against something that's stored in your chip or whatever is a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. And this is why the iPhone 8 is looking good and all this sort of thing. From a marketing face standpoint. Face identification is a very, very different proposition. And it has issues. There are Concern. But we need, to,
2: we need to separate identification and authentication for that to make sense. Identification says, ah, this is the first time I've ever come across this human. Ah, it happens to be Jason. Versus, I've met this human before, it's Jason, and his face matches Jason's face and my memory of Jason's yeah. face. So,
4: so matching against Jason's face versus picking you out from a population. I agree. But th- these are quite serious issues. Because if those databases get end up on Wikipedia or whatever uh, – not Wikipedia, what's, what's the thing? WikiLeaks. Yeah. You know, it's going to be problematic. All, all sorts
0: of terrible things. But like, this is all fascinating. But what's the song? That's, That's what people want to know. What's I was thinking, semi sonic, secret smile. That, that could definitely work, I think, in that one. So, and finally, moving What's on. What's wrong uh, with
4: the who? I'm the face.
0: Oh, that would work as well. The, like, this is turning into sort of a series of albums no, now. A long players as well. Like, we might have to make this monthly. I'm just going to be saying. Uh, last story, and we always like to leave with a reasonably weird one. So this is on Business Insider. This is, I think, Lilium? Is that how we pronounce this? You? Uh, raises 90 million to become the Uber of the sky. This looks like quite a terrifying one. I'm not too sure how many, uh, you guys have kind of had a look at it. Mostly sort of CGI recreated things of people getting into what looks like very big drones. Electric jet taxi. And terrifies <laughs> it. Ter- just
1: terrifying. Is experience. this an ICO? I just want to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. They've raised 90 million it's the old fashioned way.
4: Electric helicopter taxis. Pretty much, yeah. A
1: mini jet designed to Lovely. fly at 187 miles an hour for an hour on a single charge. It's been backed by 77 million pounds by big name investors, including Skype's billionaire co-founder. So it's
4: basically banked to Heathrow, pretty much, mm. yeah. Uh,
0: anywhere to city, like you know, it could, it could, I, I could see this as a service being,
3: you know, working quite well. But this at is, the this same is time, to get
4: the one percent out of traffic jams. It cannot fail. <laughs> there,
3: there, there is already, though, kind of for the one percent. There's kind of shared jet schemes, there's helicopter schemes. No, but this is to get Maybe you to... helicopter something in the Middle East Dubai. to get to and, the airport. Yeah, yeah
4: well, to your so private jet. What, the is, what they really want to do like in the what they really want is zil lanes like they used to have in soviet russia so what they really want is from all the main banks they want their own lane out to london city and f- for some reason we're resisting this you know the peasants really well, that would be the last straw so instead they have electric taxes to fly above it it cannot fail and and on that note can I can I suggest for song anything just by madness would
0: be quite good for this one uh feels like it probably quite a fitting end and on that note that probably wraps up another episode of fintech insider news as always if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on at fintech insiders or on facebook on at fintech insider news page um thank you very much for joining us dave uh where can people learn more about you www.dgwbirch.com and uh, where can everybody
3: find you richard while you're on gardening leave for the next couple of months i'm uh, A beach spending somewhere? my time between the beach and uh twitter so at uh, rhb underscore davies on twitter fantastic don't forget to subscribe guys and please leave us a review on itunes we really love those
0: reviews reviews people do it thanks for listening guys laters